what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson, and with me, Christopher Fry. We are with the Foot Candle Film Festival and the Foot Candle Film Society here in beautiful Western North Carolina, and we're here to talk some movies. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Uh, looking forward to discussing our film today. Yeah. Well, our film is the latest from director David Fincher. It is his film starring Michael Fassbender called The Killer. We'll be giving a review of that film in just a second. Followed by after that, I've got a couple of films coming out in November, actually here in this very next month as we record this, uh, that are going to be available to see. We're going to kind of dig into the trailers for those two films and talk about them a little bit. I think both projects sound very interesting, so I'm anxious to hear Chris's thoughts on these two as well. But as I said, we're going to be discussing David Fincher's latest film, The Killer. That is our main review, so let's go ahead and get right into it, Chris, if you are ready. Let's do it. All right, here we are. David Fincher's The Killer. I find music a useful distraction. A focused tool. Keeps the inner voice from wandering. Director David Fincher's films tend to have a certain stark look, a detached tone, an often kind of disconcerting feel. He had an ill-fated entry in the Alien franchise before hitting it big with the crime thriller Seven. He followed that up with other hits like Fight Club, Zodiac, Gone Girl. Sometimes Fincher veers outside of his seeming cinematic comfort zone with films like The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, or most recently with the biopic Mank. With The Killer, Fincher seems to be returning to his signature type of territory with the story of an assassin, played by Michael Fassbender, who, after a bot's job, begins an international manhunt. Alan, what did you make of Fincher's latest effort? Well, so Chris, you and I saw this together, which, you know, this is true. a little hit or miss on whether we actually see these films together right. and seeing it at a critic screening. So it's, uh, you know, a little bit of a unique situation sometimes to watch a film where you're in a theater and you're there with just other people who are critics and people watching these films. And, uh, but you're not there with a, a general audience. You're not there with a big full crowd. Um, and I'm there with you and you and I typically don't like to tip our hats to our reviews of the films before, you know, before we record these podcasts, right. but we had an hour and some change drive home. It's kind of impossible <laughs> not to at least talk about the movie you just sat through and watched. So we did share our thoughts with one another. Um, I will just, I'm, I'm prefacing all that, Chris, to say that my thoughts have evolved a little bit okay. since even that conversation at 9.30 or so p.m. <laughs> uh, early, uh, two days ago. Okay. Um, I think The Killer is an interesting film, and I had a enjoyable time watching it. But I'm also aware now of the fact that it's a film that really doesn't do anything. And I say that in terms of, 
you mentioned you described Fincher's films as kind of being very a little cold and detached and uh, sometimes very focused on process, maybe less so than uh, it's not as involved. It, I, it doesn't seem to be as quite as involved in a lot of his films in necessarily, I don't want to say character development is it's more of a, it seems to be a lot more fascination on showing the how things are doing and not necessarily always the why. And okay. I think the howls are always really fun to watch. This is a movie all about the how this is a movie all about, okay, you have a guy you described in the, the synopsis there, an assassin um, who has to kind of turn and go on a little bit of his own manhunt because of a mistake he made. And now people responsible for that are trying to come after him. Anyway, it's a, the plot is not terribly important. It's a simple matter of we're watching someone who is a very, very good skilled person at their craft doing their job and taking, having to take a little bit of a detour on their job to protect themselves and someone that we think they care about. Um, but there's not a lot else beyond that. So look, I like it for what it is on the surface. I think if I can say pretty clearly that if what Chris's description of the film and his nice write up there sounds intriguing to you, you will like this film. Is there anything more to it than that? I didn't really find it. And I'm not saying that that's a downfall of the film. It's just, I do think you have to go in realizing you're looking at something very much on a, a surface level. Even the, we get a monologue from our main character played by Fassbender throughout the film that does give you some, in, a little bit of insight into them, but it, you don't really ever get to know any of these characters at all. You really don't get to understand deeper meanings and desires and drives between behind anybody. You're basically just watching people do their job and get work done. And that's still entertaining. So I'm not, again, I'm not giving a negative review on this. I'm just, I'm saying that I think we have to all realize that we're watching something on a very pristine, clean surface level in this film, the mechanics of watching him do his job, the mechanics of, okay, how is he going to fix this situation? How is he going to find this person? How is he going to take care of this individual is all very interesting and it's engaging and fun to watch. It's just a, there's just not a lot more below the surface of that. This is the most David Fincher-ish film of a David Fincher film. It's it's, it's distilled down to the Fincherness of, of it all, and it's going to work for some people. It's not going to work for, for for many. I it worked for me, but barely. So I hope that sums it up okay for me. Um, and Fassbender's amazing, so I will just say that I love him. <laughs> Chris, your thoughts on the killer? I went a little long. Sorry. Uh, well, no, I mean it, it's we've basically had the same experience. I like you. I liked the film, but what makes it watchable is that you have a very capable director, a very capable cast, the, the soundtrack, you know, Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor or sorry, Atticus. Yeah. Yeah. Atticus mm -hmm. Ross. yeah. Um, you know, you have all these components that are really good or that are, they're, you're know, very capable, really good, but it all comes down to the story itself is not particularly unique. Yeah. So if there was some, if there was some element of surprise or a twist, not even a twist, just something you couldn't predict, but it's very from the opening thing of the movie and what he starts doing, you're like, okay. And then it, nothing really surprises you. That's true. There are so, no surprises. Um, nothing you needed like a surprise, like a, 
Night Shyamalan twist, just something that yeah. you just it makes the story a little bit more interesting. I mean, right. really, the story is about as cut and dry as it could be. I mean, you summed it up in a sentence, and I, I, there's not really a lot to expand on it from that. So, well, and I think a lot of people I've I've seen online are kind of taking this as Fincher actually kind of poking fun at himself because he's a very meticulous filmmaker as far as because yeah, I mentioned detached tone and the way things are very precise. Well. Michael Fassbender's the killer. That's he, that's his name. He doesn't really have like you know a, a name. Yeah, there is no identifying name for him. So in, the, in the film, he's that way. He's very by the clock. He monitors his blood pressure. He eats certain amounts of grams of protein every day. He has this very regimented thing. So it's you know you could kind of carry that over and say like, it's like David Fincher making a movie, kind of mocking somebody who has a very locked in lifestyle. Um, and I don't know if that's just happenstance that that happens to be and people are just grasping at something to have something to talk about in a review. <laughs> but I mean, interesting, interesting note. Um, you, I will say too, like, yeah, it's like, like you said, it's the most venturist movie he's ever made <laughs> because down to the fact where a lot of people don't have, a lot of the characters don't have names. You have Tilda Swinton playing the expert. Mm-hmm. Um, you have, Arliss Howard playing the client. You have Charles Parnell playing the lawyer. So it's like, you know, Andrea Hughes playing the target. You know, it's like they just all have these, you know, they don't, they don't give people names. So it's supposed to be very bare bones. You're not supposed to have any connection with any of these individuals at all. And even Fassbender, who we spend 99% of the film with, and we hear voiceover narration, which would make you think, oh, we're going to really dig into his psyche. We're going to get to know this guy. No, not really. Everything is very, I mean, his his narration is almost like more reading instruction manuals on how he's going to do his job than it is him giving any insight into what who he is as a person. And again, that's by design. It's not like this was a mistake and it's like, oh, well, you know, we meant to give this character some personality, but we just didn't in the film. No, it's it's intentional. This is, we're not supposed to connect with these people in any way, for, shape or form beyond that. We are truly watching people work, <laughs> people doing their jobs and the complications of those jobs. That's what we're watching. I still found it very engaging and very fun to watch, but again, it, it, that's what it is. That That's what it is on the surface pretty much. Well, and it, you can, if you're looking at clues to maybe commentary outside of it just being kind of a crime movie about assassins, um, you could say maybe there's a little bit of commentary on technology and class and not leading to happiness. These people all seem to be fairly well off. Um, and that he uses an Apple watch to, I kind of alluded to like tell his blood pressure to see how much he's sleeping, all these monitoring things. But at the end of the day, he has a nice, uh, getaway house or safe house. He has a nice safe house. And, but at the end of the day, he doesn't seem to be getting any kind of happiness gratification. He's just a kind of an empty, an empty shell. So yeah, it's true. I, I don't know. It's well, you want to hear my random sure. possibly on this movie. Yeah. And I don't know. This is, this is just a theory. It's just one big long, um, Smith's video. Well, yeah, there's that too. The Smiths, man, (laughs) the Smiths are all over this movie. If you are a fan of the Smiths, you'll probably want to go see this movie, regardless of what you think about the rest of it. Cause basically 50% of the running time has a Smith song playing in it in some way, shape or form. So, um, I am curious if you, you mentioned that this is maybe David Fincher kind of poking fun at himself, maybe as a theory. I, I'll take it a little step further. Hey, maybe, yeah. Um, the whole premise of this film is it's uh, he messed up. 
He's someone who's quote perfect. Right. And he messes up. Correct. He messes up one time. And that's at the very beginning of the film. Oh, yeah, so we're not yeah, spoiling that's, that's the whole log yeah. line of the film. Right. He messes up one time for someone who's kind of perceived to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And because of that mess up, now people are after him. So he's kind of getting back at them before they can get to him. Right. Anyway, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, you could read a little meta into this. Like Mank got some nominations for awards, but I think in general, a lot of people looked Mank his last film and said, yeah, that's not really, that's not really David Fincher. We don't really like that as much, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I almost kind of wonder if it's a little bit of, yeah, here's someone who is this perfectionist. It's like, I, this is the way I make movies. This is the way I do things. This is my process. I have a certain look and feel. I kind of made one that people didn't like. I, you know, wasn't my fault. I made a good movie. People <laughs> just didn't like it. Or it, So I'm now kind of having to show them, oh, look, well, this is what happens when, you know, I, I step outside and I don't make a movie there by connects with. I, I come back to this. I wonder if there's a little bit of that in there because that's really is Fastbender's killer is basically somebody was not happy with his work and decided to be pretty vicious about <laughs> the way they handled their right. dissatisfaction. So he's taking it back to them and that's the whole movie. And I don't know. I could try to read a little meta into it. I don't know that maybe stretching a bit, but um, I think we can agree on the fact that yes, this is, if you said, show me a David, uh, just if you told AI, describe a David Fincher movie for me <laughs> or write a David Fincher movie, this is probably what it would come up with pretty, pretty cleanly, I think. And uh, again, if you like David Fincher movies, yeah, this is good. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a fun and ga- good film to watch. And uh, it's just, just don't go in expecting a lot more than what you're going to get on the surface because that's pretty much what it is. You mentioned the voiceover narration by Fassbender, and I think <sighs> – it is so front and center in this movie. Mm -hmm. Like it starts off and he's kind of introducing you to who his character is and he's talking and you think, Oh, okay, this is just kind of setting up the movie, but no, it continues for the rest of the movie. It's like most of the dialogue in this movie is actually narration in his head. Um, but I got to say, if you're going to have somebody do that, Michael Fassbender, he's, he's a pretty good person to do it. So it didn't bother me. I can see some people say like, I hate voiceover narration. They're like, well, this isn't the film for you. Mm-hmm. That was good. Something that was a good change up for me. Not that he doesn't speak. He does speak at times. You know, he has a confrontation with the lawyer um, where he's like talking to him a little bit. But Very the one where he thing. actually... It was actually like some nice dialogue. Of course, there again, he was very sparing in his words. But you had somebody else kind of talk for a while with Tilda Swinton. Yeah. So when she shows up and she gives, she does her little song and dance... I really enjoyed that. And at that point in the movie, I needed something yeah. like that because a lot of it is action sequences of him assassinating people or so. But at some point you kind of need something different. Well, I think the film, I think what, what made the film work for me ultimately is that I'll admit there, there are passages of this film that are pretty, uh, pretty routine, a little, I don't say boring to watch, but just a little dull, but also that's by design because we're trying to follow this guy through a daily life. And we're, we, we learn in the first five minutes of this film, his life is not one for uh, people who get bored easy because you would yeah, think he says that you would think being an assassin thing. would be this like, you know, supercharged energetic role. And he's like, no, you're, you're sitting around for days on end waiting to do this one thing. And 
It's like it's not for somebody who's who doesn't handle boredom very well. So I get that that's kind of the a little bit of what they're trying to get across in the film. There are a lot of passages of Fassbender just waiting, watching. I mean, I mean, even in the opening scene, we spend so much time with him getting a shot lined up and getting a, a, a situation lined up where it's just, oh my gosh, this is taking forever. But I get it. That's the point. Is like, yes, this is a process. There's a there's a there's work going on here to make this happen. Um, I think the film that ultimately does work because it's punctuated with enough of those moments, like you described, the Tilda Swinton interaction, that keep kind of re reoriented, kind of get you reengaged in the story. Just when you feel like maybe you're kind of going through the motions. There's enough interesting moments and scenes that kind of recharge you a little bit. There's a really brutal fight. Yes. Takes place between Fassbender and another character. That the, the brute. The brute. And it is <laughs> and it's, it's brutal. Yeah. It's it, it's a it's a really well done fight sequence. You've got that. It's kind of like jolts you out a little bit, you know, after you've been kind of watching this very slow, methodical process happen. That happens. You've got the interaction with Tola Swinton, which was also, I thought, very, very exciting. Um, there's an ending sequence, a conversation. There's a, there are several scenes that just kind of punctuate um, the story and kind of get you recharged back in there. But I tell you, in between those moments, it, it is a lot of, it is a lot of waiting and watching, and, well, and or seeing him take some very simple moves and just you're not always quite sure what those moves are going to lead to. And it takes some time to pay off, but um, I I think something you and I had discussed off mic kind of when we were driving home that you mentioned, there were little dashes of humor from Mm -hmm. Fincher that kind of also would kind of, you know, make you sit up and take notice a little bit. There's um, Mm -hmm. pulling a cheese grater from a kitchen drawer (laughs) moment. I won't go into why that's funny, but that was funny. He, there's a, situation in an elevator with a garbage can probably one of the funniest <laughs> loudest laughs i've had in a theater in a right long and time. so there, yeah. there are these little moments of like kind of awkward humor yeah very awkward humor yeah humor the, the, but it's it's funny and you kind of see that he's giving you a little break and what otherwise mm. would be a very monotonous routine which like you say you know of all the theories whether fincher's talking about himself or whether he's making a comment on class and like with the wealthy or like you know things like that actually you know the more i think about it it's like I th- I really glom on to the thing you gave about how even though, like yeah he's basically making this movie for me I wasn't a fan of Mank so he's saying okay I'll go do what you expect Fine. me to do I'll do Fine, Chris. I'll do a movie just I'll like you want me to do and yeah. he does it but then he's like daring you because instead of making a high paced action thriller with assassins going around and fighting and which this has action scenes in it there are but what he does is he kind of slows things down and he challenges you okay. I'm going to give you what you want, but I'm going to challenge you to be entertained by it because I'm yeah. giving you like violence. I'm giving, you know, some, no, I like that. Fun. I like that phrasing. I'm challenging you to find entertainment. In this. Right. And, so, and I think pe- some people will, right. And some people will not. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I'm one of the first people to usually complain about runtime and this film was like right under two, two hours. hours, but I was entertained, but I think it's just because what you and I've already said, the, attention by the all the parties involved were work are just at the top of their game so that's what was able to keep it entertaining i think this story told by a lesser filmmaker with a lesser cast yeah i'd probably be like we've seen this kind of movie before it's an assassin movie it's boring there's but there's so much style and craft in it that it did keep it entertaining i'll say too (laughs) um something else i mentioned you mentioned and we both mentioned the smith songs Mm -hmm. 
And um, the reason I say the thing about the music video too is at one point he's, I noticed the editing. So the song was being played, but the editing, I think he's driving, he's driving somewhere and it cuts back and forth to the music. So it's almost like a car commercial. Oh, right, yeah. And I think there again, it's kind of, it's kind of doing it as a joke. It's like, we're going to make this really stylized Smith's commercial in the, in the middle of this movie. And it's, so it's like, there's something there, even though it all it is, is him driving around or like mm. seeing signs and cutting back, like all the cuts are edited to the song. And it's, it's funny that way. And a little touch in the opening sequence, he is setting up this assassination that gets botched. He comments on how he listens to music. He puts the headphones in and we start to hear a Smith song. When it shows outside, we hear the music at full volume. So it's like you see you're in his head when he's looking out the window and setting up the shot. When it cuts back to the interior of the building that he's in, the music goes down and then his narration. Because we're hearing it almost like over headphones and we're hearing it. Yeah. Right. So it's like they they pay attention. So every time the shot switches, the volume changes. So it's like these little touches that elevate this above something that would be a spy thriller done by anybody else or an assassination type thriller. So, yeah. but like you said, I liked it, but I was expecting a little bit something more, but it it was, it's, it's, it's well done. I was expecting something more and not in terms of I needed car chases or more riveting action sequences or not that. No, it's not that. I I think I was looking for a little, something that had a little bit more to say. Something that had a little bit gotcha. more to, to dig into, and there's really not with this film. It's it's pretty much what you see is what you get, and right. it's uh, I don't know. I was I was hoping for something a little deeper. Didn't get it, but I did appreciate and had a good time with what I was given. So, um, got any other thoughts on it? No, Anything no, no. Notes? I think we're basically on the same page with it. So. Yeah, no. I recommend it. I like it, but I'm not recommending it for everybody. I do think you know. Uh, again, the way to gauge this is if you've seen any of uh, David Fincher's other movies, other than make make will be the one I'll carve out any of his other films, fight club, uh, seven. Uh, um, I think Zodiac is a really good example mm. of okay. this kind of comparability of movie because Zodiac was very similar in that it was very uh, procedural. It was about the process. It's about people doing their work. It was a lot of, you know, longer passages with you know very very few moments of any action or, or or thrillingness you know to it it had a little bit of that same vibe so i'd say if those films were kind of in your wheelhouse and you those work for you then the yes the killer i think is going to work the same way uh if they're not uh this could be a little bit of a chore for some people so yeah agreed yeah well that is the killer uh is going to be playing at some limited theaters uh, here, like I think right now, yeah, or in the next week or so, supposed to open in select theaters October twenty seventh. But so. this is a movie that will be on Netflix. What was the date on the Netflix? November tenth? November tenth. So uh, you got about a week or so to wait. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast when it came out, before it will be available for you to see. But um, it will be available on Netflix pretty soon. But you may have a chance to go see it in a theater. It's a it's a good theater viewing, just because I think you know. The visual, uh, it's a beautifully looking film. It's shot really well. Right. Um, we'll say very, very dark film, like dark uh, visually. So make sure you've got your brightness uh, adjusted correctly on your home TV set if you're going to be watching it at home. Because um, there are some scenes that are I still thought were pretty hard to see 
even in a like really good theater. And that's just Fincher. Fincher's films have always had a level of like darkness to them. They're not always a very brightly lit film at all. So um, this one, I think, takes it to its extreme level. It's a very, very, quote, dark film from that standpoint. Sure. All right. That is The Killer by David Fincher, starring Michael Fassbender, Tilda Swinton, and some others. Uh, we are giving recommendations to it, but it is a, uh, it's a, it's a tepid rep- recommendation. We've got some some things we wish we could have seen out of this film that we didn't see. But uh, overall, we, in, we appreciated what David Fincher decided to lay out on the table for us with his work this time. So, all right, Chris, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a couple of films coming up here in the month of November coming up soon. Uh, that are ones that I'm really anxious to talk to you about and see your thoughts on. So stay tuned. You're listening to foot candle films. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. Chris and I just finished our review of The Killer. But now let's move on to a couple of films. And Chris, you know, from time to time on the latter half of our show, we like to watch trailers and or talk about news of upcoming movies. Well, in this case, I kind of want to do both with these uh, in that I've got two films okay. that are going to be released in some capacity in the month of November, meaning November 2023, like a couple weeks from now. Okay. But because of the way that, well, at least the first one anyway, the first film is going to be going to Netflix after a limited, uh, very, very limited the- theatrical run. Okay. So a lot of these Netflix films are ones that are going to streaming. I noticed that the trailers don't come out until fairly close to when the movie's ready to release. Like it used to be like a big theater release trailer would come out. It used to be like almost a year in advance mm-hmm. of the film. Right. Now it seems like with the films that will go straight to Netflix or Hulu or somewhere. I mean, we don't see these trailers sometimes where I don't even hear about the films until maybe 30 days in advance, 45 days in advance, something like that. So this is a trailer. It's first time I got to see it was yesterday and you're going to see it for the first time, but the film is coming out in like two weeks on theaters. It's going to be on Netflix December 9th. So we're, we're pretty close on that end, but let me talk about this first one. Then we'll get to the second one. So this first one I'm terribly excited for, for various reasons. It's got all the right components to it to make this a movie. I'm super excited about, but so is the killer. Good point. Good point. Uh, And I, Still, I still like sure. the no, killer. No, right, right, right. I love it. Saying, I yeah. liked it. Sure. All right. So this is the, let me give you the log line for this film. This film is title is leave the world behind. It is directed by a Mr. Sam Ismail. Do you know who that is? Uh, the name sounds vaguely familiar. He should. Uh, so he was the producer and showrunner behind Mr. Robot. Uh, okay. Okay. He did Mr. Robot. He also was producer of a TV show called Homecoming. Um, he wrote a film called Comet back in 2014, hmm. but I don't think he has directed. Okay. Um, I'm trying to make sure and see. I think direction wise, I mean, he directed episodes of that TV show sure. that he did. Oh, he directed the film Comet back in 2014. Okay. But that's it. Uh, he directed a lot of the Mr. Robot episodes and the series Homecoming. I'm a big fan of Mr. Robot. I thought that was a great show. So 
that's got me intrigued. And let me just give you the log line and then I'll tell you the actors involved. Okay. Um, these, the, according to IMDb, this movie is about a family's getaway to a luxurious rental home takes an ominous turn when a cyber attack knocks out their devices and two strangers appear at their door. Okay. okay. I think I've heard. Yeah. This is slowly becoming more and more familiar. Kind of coming, to, yeah. coming to clear. For, so here's the uh, cast list for you. Julia Roberts. Maharsha Ali. Okay. Ethan Hawke. Uh, and Kevin Bacon. Okay. Yeah. I think that Kevin Bacon, somebody, I saw a joke online or something about Kevin Bacon. Okay. So yeah, being able to play that game of six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yes. So yes, but I don't, I didn't know it was associated with this movie, but okay. Got you. That's the deal. So let's go ahead and watch the trailer for leave the world behind. And then I'm anxious to talk with you about this film. Okay. So here we go. So sorry to bother you. You must be Amanda. Why did you come here? In my line of work, you have to understand the patterns that govern the world. They can help you see the future. And I knew something was coming. I don't understand. What do you mean? All right. After the little Netflix dong we have at the end, that was the trailer for Leave the World Behind. And that's such a smart programming decision. It seems like a perfect holiday movie to take your family to see in the oh, theater absolutely. or wait until it comes on Netflix and you can all gather watch around together. and watch it because it just seems like a really... Well, look, I mean, there was Wonka, but then there's Leave the World Behind. Chris, I I'm think. just telling you, if it's my family, yeah, this is a totally <laughs> perfect family for us to watch. Um, right. Any takeaways? Any thoughts? Any... Uh, uh, I, I think, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, I'm not, I mean, I know who the director is like now that you've told us and everything, but I, that gives me, I'm interested because of that, but the cast looks to be really strong. And I think it sounds like, you know, from what we can tell from the trailer, a very interesting premise. And it's a thriller based on, you know, being isolated and cut off in the world, what's really going on, not knowing the truth. At one point, Julia Roberts' character says, I just want to know the truth. So like with all these conflicting news stories or whatever, I will say if it was, and then it said based on a best-selling novel, and that right there gave me hope. Because Mm -hmm. I think if it was just all these good actors and you know, a director that seems capable, and it was this just this premise without being based on something that is like already in existence. I would worry that the premise would be it would get boring after like ten or fifteen minutes to mm-hmm. sustain a full movie on that. But the fact that there's a book, I'm like, okay, there's there's probably going to be enough there to sustain my you know attention and my enjoyment of it. So. Yeah, it looks to be pretty good, but uh, not <laughs> doesn't look to be terribly happy. But um, I guess not. But I. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's not. Yeah. I, I look. I as I said, I, I'm a big fan of Mr. Robot. Definitely, the first two seasons of that show I thought were extraordinary. I think some of my favorite TV I've seen in you know in a couple decades. And I credit Sam Esmail, the director and writer, for much of that because sure. he just created such an interesting set of characters and an interesting world. And, and I don't know, it just, I love the, the storytelling style he, 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 he used. I like films with a tinge of mystery to them. I like films where you don't really know what's happening. Sure. 
the characters are along with the ride trying to figure out what is happening. I like, uh, it's got a slightly tinge of a disaster film, a slight tinge of a, not a post-apocalyptic, but a little bit of a, what happens as the world starts to crumble type of thing. All that is great for me. And then you say, okay, yeah, and I've got Mahasha Ali, <laughs> and I've got Ethan Hawke, and I've got Julia Roberts. Sure. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, count me in. I'm ready to go. Let's do well, this. What was weird to me, I feel like something about both of the actors, Julia Roberts, Ethan Hawke, I like both of them. And something about them playing a husband and wife, I'm like, yeah, why hasn't that been done before? Yeah. Like something, something that just, they just seem so, what the few scenes we see from the trailer, which a really good trailer. So good job. You get mm-hmm. me excited for the movie, but they just seem like so natural together. Like the interplay they have. So I'm like, yeah, it's yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I got a credit. So thank you to Letterboxd, which ah, is the service that you and I both use to log our, our movie watching and uh, see what others are saying about movies. Um, Letterboxd without an E. So letterboxd.com. That's the plug for that. We, they're not sponsors. We're, no. just, we're just mentioning them. <laughs> Uh, because they put up a post a, a couple days ago. It's like, hey, which of these films are you most excited for in the month of November? Hmm. It was like a grid of like 12 or 16 films. Okay. And I I knew about nine of them. Okay. The other ones, I'm like, huh, let me go. I'm going to go check in to see what these films are. Just because I'm curious if, if Letterboxd is like putting these up as, hey, he's, here's the ones that everybody's talking about. Which ones are you the most excited about? Sure. This was one that came up as the earliest release date. And I had not heard about it. And so when I pulled it up and reviewed it, I'm like, oh, okay. This is now <laughs> vaulted to the top of my anticipated list, like in very short order. So um, leave the world behind. Uh, it is, again, going to be on Netflix December 8th. It is playing select theaters in November. Again, the reason they are doing that whole select theaters uh, weeks in advance is now because my understanding is Oscar rules are to, to be contender for the big awards your film has to play theaters. Right. So just going straight to Netflix with no theatrical run will not work. Right. And I think they're working on the model, Chris killers of the flower moon, I think was a little bit uh, a showcase. This, uh, you know, killers of the flower moon was an Apple film. It is going to be on Apple TV plus in December, but it's playing in movie theaters right now. And it made, it made $25 million, which for a Scorsese film, that was a big opening weekend. It was pretty good for his, his, I think it's very similar to what Wolf of Wall Street opened up to, or maybe a little bit more. So Apple's obviously kind of played that role. It's like, all right, we're showing, yeah, that we're going to, it's going to make some money on the front end in mm-hmm. the theaters. And then the hopes are, is that it's also going to drive subscribers to their service when they release it in December. People that maybe were on the fence about getting Apple TV plus now see, Oh, it's got the new Scorsese film. I didn't want to pay 12 bucks to go see it in the theater. So I'll go see it. Uh, I'll, I'll pay my $7 a month or whatever it is to get the subscription. Um, that's the ultimate gameplay. It seems to be working as a couple situations. Now I don't feel like leave the world behind is going to be a, a wide release like killers of the flower moon was right. It'll get enough of a theatrical run to qualify for awards, but then it's going to Netflix is really going to bank on people wanting to see it on Netflix. See, okay. So just a, you know, we've been on this soapbox before. Yeah. I like the fact that now films are being made just because of Oscars are being made to have some type of run. I just wish, I wish they could say, and it can't be a limited run. It has to be a wide release, but they can't do that. I guess they can't yeah. do that. Don't, because what I, I just fear for like folks who don't want to subscribe to 10 different services just so they can see movies. So for instance, if you didn't have Netflix, you'd, 
you know, you might not be able to see this movie because it's not going to come to your town because you're not Atlanta or, right. you know, LA or you're so, right. so like you might not be able to see it. So that I'm like, you know, that kind of, kind of stinks, but I guess at least they're doing something. Cause before maybe it would have just gone straight to Netflix. So there's no chance people. Would I, I like the it, fact so. that it's doing both. And I like the fact that the bigger films, the ones that, you know, are, are, are really good films and good directors are, getting both right. Like killer of the flower moon. Right. That is, I'm so happy that that didn't just go to Apple TV plus and just right. that's it. Um, because I like seeing it on the big screen, but you're right. I mean, this film will not get a wide release. I'm guaranteeing. On. I, um, I feel like you're probably right. It looks more like a genre type of, you know, yeah. type film. I mean, so. look, I'll be happy if it is playing, you know, in our hometown of Hickory, you know, in a couple of weeks, because I'll go see it in the theater. I'd like to go see it. Yeah, in the my theater. default is I'd rather see things yeah. in the theater. But. Um, I like that we have those options. I just, I hate for people who do enjoy the theatrical experience that it's not going to be applicable for every film that's going to streaming. Because right. again, most of them are going to be limited releases or just getting in just barely enough theaters or the biggest theaters they can make money from and then wait to go streaming. Um, so yeah, I, I'm with you on that. It, it does still make me a little worried for theaters oh yeah because again it's if the theaters only become a a, a proving ground for films for like the first couple weeks three or four weeks before they go to streaming and it's only going to be for limited ones that that anyway i don't know it doesn't bode well for films that are banking solely on a theatrical run sure they're not being released by a streaming service that's the ones i worry about so anyway All right. Well, that is Leave the World Behind uh, coming out in November in select theaters, but then in December, on December 8th on Netflix. Um, Very, very excited. As am I. All right. So the second film to talk about is also one very interested in. Uh, Chris, we have reviewed some films with a Mr. Nicolas Cage in recent years. Mm -hmm. Um, He is... uh, Continues to be a very interesting actor in that he will kind of what was the the whole mantra I think we've talked about before was like, you do one film just for the paycheck so that you can do one film. That's maybe a little more creative and interesting. And Nicholas Cage kind of takes that to the ultimate extreme. I mean, (laughs) I think it's almost like every movie I hear release of his, it is either looks like the biggest, either low budget or derivative film. That's just him, you know, playing a very stereotypical character and then you'll turn around and see a film like the one I'm getting ready to show you. That's like, whoa, okay, you know, that's interesting. That is that is an interesting Nick Cage performance. So I like that he at least keeps us on our toes. I'll give him that. That's good. Um, this film is a film called Dream Scenario, and it is starring Nicolas Cage. Uh, it's directed by uh, Christopher Borgili. Borgili. Okay. Yeah, I'm not familiar uh, no. with the work here. Doesn't ring a bell. Uh, writer and director of this film. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, here's the here's the tagline for this from IMDb: A hapless family a hapless family man finds his life turned upside down when millions of strangers suddenly start seeing him in their dreams. When his nightmare appearances take on a nightmarish turn, I'm sorry. When his nighttime appearances take on a nightmarish turn, Paul is forced to navigate his newfound stardom. Hmm. Right away, that, that's got me. That sounds like an interesting premise. It does. Yeah. Add to the mix that uh, this is being released uh, by E24. Okay. There you All go. Right. I knew that would get Chris Fry's that, attention yep. right away. I tend to like their house style. So Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think they're co-releasing it with another studio, but we'll okay. show that. But anyway, um, yeah, it's A24 is releasing for sure. 
Uh, it's a comedy, but also like a high concept comedy. Hmm. Um, so anyway, let's take a look at the trailer for Dream Scenario starring Nicolas Cage and see what we think. This will be the first time for me watching it as well. Okay. So here we go. Why does the zebra look the way it does? So embarrassing. Hey, focus. Is this how it went? No, it's different now. Oh, you've been on my mind recently. Yeah. Because you keep popping up in my dreams. You don't do anything. You're just there. So this specific person, the remarkable nobody. I also had that experience. Do you have a picture? Chris, let me just ask this right off the bat. Am I two for two with films I've now got you interested in? Well, this one even more so. Really? Um, the only thing that surprises me is that it's not written and directed by Charlie Kaufman. Yeah. Um, it has a very adaptation vibe. I mean, mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage was in that as well, um, playing somebody that looked terrible. And in this movie, like he's balding, he's like older and everything. And you're like, yeah, it's not a, it's not a glamour performance. He plays kind of like a loser dad. Um, yeah. I, my one regret with this trailer is I'm afraid it showed me too much. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I do feel like it maybe tipped his hand a little too much. Um, which, yeah. you know, I, I trust in general, I usually trust A24. Yeah. So I hope that they didn't make the mistake where they've shown me the entire movie. But no, it looks it looks great. I know. I'm it's, actually, it's actually wondering, the two films I thought of. I thought of Adaptation and Everything Everywhere All at Once. Sure. It's, it's almost like a blend of that. Yeah, that style filmmaking is in the whole dream is another conceit they can use to kind of weave in some really uh, wild scenarios. But then you've got Nicolas Cage kind of playing a very... On the surface, it seems to be very similar to what we saw in Adaptation. I tell you, and I think, you know, Grant, this is based off the trailer people. And, you know, they have all these quotes up there from people that have seen the film, like, you know, career best. I tell you, if the movie is any good at all, I could see Nicolas Cage getting a nomination. Because it just seems like, you know, he's been around a while. He's won for Le- um, Leaving Las Vegas. Leaving Las Vegas, yeah. But this is like something, but it's, you know, people could be like, okay, Nick, mm-hmm. we're going to give you another shot. Like, I don't know. It just, yeah, I am I am really excited for this one. And I am happy that apparently it is theaters. There's no streaming service attached. That's correct. Okay. Yeah, it is. Everything has been saying it's theaters. So I stand a chance of being able actually to see this in the theater. Yeah, it's November <laughs> okay. 10th. Now, how wide a release it is, we'll have to wait and see as okay. far as how many theaters it goes out to. But yeah, November 10th is the release date for this film. Man. Which is, again, kind of crazy that, you know, I'm, we're watching the trailer. Uh, at this point, it's 14 days before the film comes out. So that's what leads me to believe it's not going to be a big release. Right. It's going to hunt this film down. But uh, yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm super excited for this one. Oh, so me too. Both of these two films have given me some, both have given me a little, uh, little more hopeful vibes about this fall and, and the films coming out. I think we've got, you know, I'd say earlier in the year, looking at kind of the slate of films to come out throughout the year, I, I didn't feel like we were going to really have a good strong year of some interesting films to see. And even right now where we are, I think the only big films left coming out this year, uh, we were talking about this the other day, trying to remember what big films were left. One we didn't mean Aquaman is like, I guess a big release coming out. You know, you got the Marvels from Marvel uh, studios. You've got Aquaman from the whole DC thing. Outside of that big movies, not a lot. And that's fine because if we've got some cool, smaller films, like the ones I just showed filling in the gaps, I'd much rather go gravitate to those anyway. Well, and the two that 
haven't come out yet that will be, they're both tied to streaming services, Maestro and yeah. Napoleon. Right. So those are ones that, you know, that will be like award worthy maybe. Right. But yeah, so it's, it's, it's interesting. And then I am hopeful for the color purple, mm-hmm. the, the new musical adaptation of the uh, color purple coming out Christmas time that is going to theaters as well. So I hope, I hope that's really good and strong and performs well. So it's going to be, I think, I think it's going to be an interesting fall or interesting winter season for theaters. And I'm really curious how theaters do with this landscape going on with the film releases. And, uh, you know, I, I've gone on record. I know I'm going to, maybe I'm pulling my soapbox up a little bit. (laughs) I think both, I think both the Marvels and Aquaman are going to underperform. I don't think they're going to be, uh, the big releases that I think the, the big studios are looking for. I think the, I think the theater business is going to be, uh, under, under, underplay this year compared to past years. Well, definitely pre pandemic years. Uh, everybody was hoping this year would kind of get us past the pandemic time and get us back to where we were. I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, with the exception of Barbie Oppenheimer and the Taylor Swift, that's Eras been tour. pretty much it. Maybe. I mean, you could yeah. probably throw Super Mario Brothers first early in the year on True. top of that, and that'd True. be the only other one. Um, but I think the streaming services are going to make a killing <laughs> this winter. I really do because you look at it. Fincher's film is going to be there. Yeah, Scorsese's film is going to be there. Yeah, um, Maestro's going to Netflix. Napoleon's um, going. Napoleon's to Apple TV Apple Plus. TV, yeah. I mean, these big movies. I really think people are going to go towards. I wouldn't be surprised if, yeah, they come to the theater, but then but most of them wait and watch it online. And I think the streaming services, this could be the season that just proves, yep, the streaming services are in the movie business, the new movie business for real. And when award season comes and the nominations come out in February or so, don't be surprised if a lion's share of those nominations are from films released by streaming services studios. So, yeah, yeah. it'll be, I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, is it just going to be where, in a couple of years, basically movie theaters will be in bigger towns, like in See, that's what LA, makes me Atlanta, that's what makes yeah, me and then like smaller towns, like won't have theaters anymore because they just can't compete with streaming services. Nope. So uh, that's my big fear. That's sure. my fear is that, you know, the, the movie theaters are kind of like the uh, exclusive release uh, locations for their the big movies that are going to be going to online streaming services and they'll play them for three, four weeks and it becomes this big exclusive thing to, to go see, but you got to go to, you know, you got to go to a bigger city just to see them because the smaller theaters or the smaller town theaters just can't support that model. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, even our local theater right now, you look at what's playing and yeah, you got the Taylor Swift movie. You've mm-hmm. got, Killers of the Flower Moon, which I even noticed is already in a very, very small theater, like not packing in big crowds. Sure. And one or two other kind of big releases. And then the rest of our 12 or 14 screen multiplex is filled with really in, I mean, I, Nightmare, I can't, before, I can't Nightmare just, Before Christmas, right, Hocus Pocus. of older yeah. films or films you've just never heard of that just they're just pushing through for a one week release just to sure. kind of have it out there. And it's just uh, it's just not going to get the audiences that way. So yeah, it's still interesting. I feel like I've been saying theater, the theater business has been interesting for several years now, and it has been. <laughs> yeah, honestly, one or two years before the pandemic happened, they were already in a very interesting spot. The pandemic accelerated everything, 
and now we're kind of post pandemic and everybody was hoping that Top Gun Maverick was showing us that everybody's going to the movie theaters again. No, people are going to the movie theaters for very specific, big spectacle event driven things. Right. A Taylor Swift concert because I'm a fan of Taylor Swift. You go to, you go to a Taylor Swift thing, Top Gun, because it's this big re revival of a, of a famous film that everyone wanted to see. And, you know, there has to be a, a reason for people now to go to see a movie in the theater, as opposed to just, Hey, it's Friday night. Let's go see what's at the movie theater, you know? Right. So, okay. So um, <laughs> I'll push the soapbox away. I'm done. Um, anyway, two films. Uh, I already forgot the name. So we oh, I'll dreams. leave the world behind yeah. in dream scenario. Yes. Both coming out over the course of the next several weeks. Excited for both of them. And I'm sure we will find a way to talk about both of them on the show when they do come out. And hopefully I'm not building them up too much. So. <laughs> ah, the, the curse of early hype. <laughs> I know it is, but man, you put together a good intriguing trailer and get my attention. You throw in the right ca- directors and the right cast members um, in the right concept and conceit. It's hard for me not to get excited. So. Sure. All right, Chris. Well, if anybody's got some thoughts on my little rant about the movie theater business or either of the films we just previewed or our review of The Killer, uh, how can somebody get a hold of us to join in the conversation? You can send an email to info at footcandle.org. You can follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. We're on Facebook, Foot Candle Film Society. Instagram and threads, we're just simply footcandlefilm. Alan had mentioned previously, we are both on Letterbox. You can try to find us on there. That is Letterbox without the E at the end. So it's just B-O-X-D. Um, do us a favor. Give us a star rating, write a review, share with friends on whatever service you receive your favorite podcasts on to help us reach new listeners. We would appreciate it. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today. Thanks, everybody, for watching or listening, I guess. and not watching. There's no you don't want to watch us. us. You don't want to see us. <laughs> it's all listening. Thanks for listening, and we'll look forward to talking to you next time. Take care. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.